0: health isn't just about the body, it's also about the mind, but how do we pursue mental health and how can our faith help us in that pursuit? Join us today as we explore these questions with Dr. Matthew Bruninger, Assistant Professor of Psychology at Franciscan University of Stoonville. I'm Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University, and you're watching Franciscan University Presents. Stay with us. Franciscan University presents, and I'm your host, Father Dave Pavanka, President of Franciscan University of Steubenville, and we're talking today about mental health and faith. I'm joined with our panelists, Dr. Regis Martin, Professor of Systematic Theology. Welcome, doctor. And also Dr. Scott Hahn, also Professor of Theology here at Franciscan University. It's good to have you back, Dr. Hahn. We are pleased to welcome our special guest, Dr. Matthew Brenninger, a psychology professor here at Franciscan University. He holds a doctorate in clinical psychology from Baylor and a master's in theology from Ave Maria University. His clinical work is individuals struggling with PTSD, anxiety and depression, and substance use disorder. He lives here in Steubenville with his wife and has five children. So we wanna welcome you, Matt, uh, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So um, during the whole COVID crisis, there was so much, rightly so, spoken about the struggle with health and and, and the physical body. And yet I think that there was a great deal of suffering due to mental illness with that. So maybe just some thoughts just on that connection there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. Um, One thing that I think became really clear during the COVID crisis was the importance of mental health. And, and so what is, what is our mental health generally? Our mental health is it's our thoughts, it's our feelings, it's our ability to be resilient and deal with stress, it's our capacity to form meaningful social relationships um, and connectedness, and it's on a continuum. right? It's on a continuum from very good to poor. And so while many of us may not experience a, a clinically diagnosable mental illness, we will all have struggles with mental health. And at various points in our life, have better mental health or poorer mental health. And the COVID crisis, I think, really brought this to the fore for a couple reasons. One is it dramatically isolated people. And so we're creatures that are made for deep connection. And by isolating us, it really put a strain on uh, many individuals' mental health. Mm. It also threw a huge wrench in our rhythm and routine. We're creatures of habit. And to not have our normal and normative rhythms and routine was distressing for a lot of individuals. And sort of lastly, um, so much was unknown during the crisis. How is it transmitted? How quickly does it transmit? Could it be transmitted on surfaces? Yeah. One of the most uncomfortable sort of phenomenon for human beings is not knowing. Yeah, yeah. And so you'll find that um, individuals, even with cancer diagnoses, will say that hearing the diagnosis was a relief the most difficult part was not knowing sure. in between. And so the COVID crisis really did bring to the fore the importance of being active participants in cultivating our mental health. That I think many of us are sort of on, on coast. We just go about our routines sure. in our day. But when something like that strikes, it helps bring to the fore for us how important it is to actively be
2: cultivating good mm-hmm. mental health habits and mm-hmm. behaviors. You know, the fear factor is something that is unpredictable mm-hmm. for individuals and I think for social groups also. Mm-hmm. And the way in which um, it was politicized yes. and yes. then polarized so that the individual's physical health was sort of held up mm-hmm. as the principal concern and then restarting the economy. And it seemed to me to be a kind of false dilemma Absolutely. because you know we're not reducible to our physical health, Absolutely. although it's essential we're also not reducible to our economic well-being, Absolutely. although that's too, important that's me. important, yeah. But it, it struck me as kind of odd, the way people were formulating it in terms of jump-starting the economy, because it wasn't really the economy only, or primarily, it was the social order. Yeah, that's right. It, it, the fact is, we're social animals as much as we are individually rational animals, Absolutely. and the intersection of being an individual who is rational and volitional, he you know intellect and will and all of that and on the other hand we are consumers and producers and you know economic creatures the intersection is mental health absolutely you know because the physical health on the one hand and what we what we get out of work and working with other people as well yeah. it's not just the job it's the interaction yeah. that makes us who we are yeah, there's absolutely. a relational matrix or fabric to who we are as human beings and you know how we walk through that and maintain equilibrium in so much fear mm-hmm. i mean i i sometimes forget how much i can be influenced by my fears i'm often out of touch with everything but my fears yes. then when you go back you're like yikes yes. you know no wonder, you know, the Word of God says 365 times, be not afraid. Yes. It never says there's nothing to be afraid of, yes. you know? Yes, Big difference. Big difference, right? I think C- Could I uh,
3: maybe say something please. disruptive? Yeah, please. Okay. Uh, should it should be good. It, it, it <laughs> strikes me that nobody is mentally well off yeah. together. Uh, well-adjusted, uh, certainly not the saints. Uh, they they seem to be out of sorts uh, all the time. Uh, there's an acronym, S-A-D, SAD, mm-hmm. which indicates suffering, anxiety, and death. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the human condition. Mm-hmm. The COVID crisis, I think, intensified an existing human predicament. Yeah. Uh, so in a way, mm-hmm. faith uh, would look sort of funny if it didn't operate uh, upon a human being who is entirely... Uh, not at
1: home uh, in the world. Yeah, I think it's a great point. Yeah, how There's do you cope with that? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think a couple things. Um, the first is that I do think it's really important to note that um, JP two says in a number of documents, I think Centissimus Annus and other Vatican II documents that man is the route that the church takes in fulfillment of her mission. And, and this is, I think that's important because what he seems to indicate is that the concrete struggles and needs of man the church must be attentive to that. Mm-hmm. And, and this point you're making, Regis, about man being sad and anxious and depressed and worried about death, these are the concerns of man, and they become the concerns of the church, of our faith, that our faith has something to say about this. Be not afraid. This is why the Word of God speaks to this, because yeah. it knows man's fundamental condition, right? And so I think it's important to recognize um, we, can, we can fall into this false notion that, that faith should make us um, these sort of unassailable uh, right. beacons yeah. something of other, right. something other, right, yeah. the above angel. the strife. Yeah, above <laughs> the strife, and you see, I mean, the, the lives of the saints are a great example that Saint Therese struggled with scrupulosity right. well into her time in the convent, yeah. and she struggled with uh, hypersensitivity. She talks about in Story of a Soul, there's a, a beautiful passage about her Christmas Day miracle where she said Christ gave her the capacity to hold and handle her emotions and to not react so strongly I see. But she yeah. said, she said, my hypersensitivity never went away. Yeah. And her sisters in the comment write about this. She was incredibly hypersensitive yeah. all throughout her time, even in Carmel. Yeah. And so, so being holy doesn't mean that we're sort of right. made right. other, yeah, right? It means being able to choose the will of God in the context of our well, well, emotional you, you, struggles. You're talking about a, a wonderful uh, and even creative tension,
3: a, yeah. a paradox yes. that's written right in to the heart of the human person. On the one hand, uh, reality doesn't consist of what I think or what I feel yes. or even the content of my fears. Yes. Reality it, consists of what God made, yes. uh, and the standard of that, uh, the validity of that is God himself, yes. his word, his word made flesh. So, on the one hand, we ought not to be afraid. I've overcome the world, so uh, be without fear. That's right. But on the other hand, we live in a broken world, not just a broken body,
1: but the world's body right. is broken. That's right, and and I do think <clears throat> our faith in particular, and we can talk about this more, but. But I do think it's also important to notice that while we'll never get rid of the sadness, the anxiety, the fear, the grief, we can certainly try to stack the deck in our favor yeah. to help us at least cope with them in ways that are less destructive, yeah. less harmful. And, and we, can, we can, I think, achieve something like flourishing. Yeah. But, but I think what we need to do when we talk about human flourishing, particularly with mental health, Human flourishing doesn't mean the absence of sadness. It doesn't and mean I the absence of anger.
0: And I think that's key: is that in some ways we, this is the human condition: suffering, difficulty. All the things are a part of our human condition, and yes. it's not. It's not bad that, that we struggle with those things no. because that is a part of it. And to no. be able, to, I think, what you're saying is to be able to embrace that and recognize yes. that and, and yes. experience God's presence and joy and healing in in the midst in, of that. That's right. And and so. So, in order to be holy, in order to flourish, we don't have to negate those
1: things. Mm-hmm. That I can I can grieve and be sad, I can be afraid and still fear. flourish. Fear right. fear yeah. will never sort of fully be, be gone this side of the beatific vision.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But there are ways that I can begin to cope with my fear, hold my fear um, um, in ways that are healthier, and and not react so strongly to my fear, but acknowledge it as mm-hmm. part of what it is to be a a created being in a fallen world. Yeah,
2: you know, I also think we associate emotions, strong emotions uh, and affections and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing with our sinfulness because they are obviously inseparable. But our Lord and his sacred humanity had emotions, had passions, and they were not disordered, but they were strong. And so, anyway, when we look to Him, we don't just look to His divinity, yes. you know, which sort of eclipses His humanity. Yes. There's no evisceration, there's no eclipse. you know, there really is a sense in which Christ is present to us for our wholeness now, which is human, both body and soul. And so, when we're looking at them who we're trying to reach as church mm-hmm. and their sinners, it becomes pretty clear pretty quickly We are them, we are them. Absolutely,
3: no, that's 100% right. Well, I mean, it's because God cares so much for us that he he decided to become one among us, not to remove the fear, the anxiety, but somehow in a strange way to enter profoundly into that anguish, uh, that dispossession, to take it on, uh, to redeem it, to, redeem. to sanctify right. uh, the struggle. If he didn't struggle himself, then it would be impossible to identify with him. You know, how can I march to a drummer whose rhythm I don't recognize? Because you're God, you didn't have to put up with
1: anything. That's right, we, we hear, I mean, in the, we have Christ's agony in the garden. We see him flipping tables in the temple. Yeah. He weeps over his friend Lazarus. Yeah. He weeps over the city of Jerusalem. There, there's deep feeling and emotion yeah in Christ in the Gospels, right? And I think your point is right, Regis, that he he shows us a way of moving through them and, and uh, redeeming them. So when I think about healing, when I think about healing life's hurts and emotional wounds, I think there's sort of two types of healing. One is the removal of the hurt or wound. And we yeah. do see this sometimes mm-hmm. um, in therapy, uh, outside of therapy. Sometimes a wound or a hurt or suffering is removed. And, and if that's the case, praise God. Yeah. But there is another type of genuine healing that I don't think we appreciate as much, but it's sort of the redemption of the wound. Yeah. The wound doesn't go away. The suffering doesn't go away. I think about St. Paul as the model of this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when he said, I, had this, I have this thorn in my flesh. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is he asked Christ to remove the thorn. And whatever that thorn is, it is yeah. certainly some sort of suffering for St. Paul, right? Yeah. And the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. And so we do, do we say, well, the Lord left St. Paul unhealed. I don't think so. I, th- I think what it is though is St. Paul receives a different type of healing, this redemption of his wound, yeah. meaning Christ takes this wound and he gives St. Paul the freedom, despite the wound, to follow the yeah. voice of Christ and Christ's call for him. So, so most of us, I think, have our wounds, mm-hmm. our thorns, and we spend life trying to, trying to walk through life not letting life touch them, right? So I build up my reality around me not to touch my wounds or my hurts because they're painful. A real type of healing is when we no longer are reacting to the world so that we don't experience pain. It's to have the freedom Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to go where Christ calls me despite this. I'm going to bring it with me and go wherever he calls you. I'm him.
2: gonna love that thorn. I'm
1: gonna <laughs> embrace, love the thorn. It.
2: I'm gonna embrace it. You know, the saints yeah. also exemplify this. I'm thinking of St. Thomas More, who underwent the sufferings of Jesus, you know, in slow motion over years. Mm-hmm. He was falsely accused. He was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. He was abandoned. He was betrayed. And then finally in the tower, you know, he was beheaded afterwards. And, and throughout this, you know, he, he writes certain works I'm thinking, especially of the sadness of Christ. And it isn't like a portrait that he's painting of Jesus, the sad one. It's the sense in which he is radically identifying himself with Christ, as Jesus did with him. Yes. And suddenly there is a unity of suffering. Yes. You're not just offering it up in some rhetorical way. Yes. You are united to Christ in a kind of deep ontological reality. Yeah. You know that brings about something I I, I think that you are just alluding to, and that is Jesus doesn't simply want to heal us of our illnesses and take away our fear, he wants to probably do even more a healing of our fear of yes. suffering.
1: Yes, yeah. mm-hmm. that's right, so, so I think one way of thinking about healing is, is that Christ helps us learn how to relate to our suffering rightly. So, and so we, other people who suffer too. Absolutely, <laughs> Compassion, right. Compassion, yeah. You know, the, the
3: example yeah. that you cite, Scott, uh, Thomas More, is endlessly instructive because he was in the tower for a while and he very much feared that he would face the execution of a traitor, hanged, drawn, and quartered. Mm -hmm. And he was a very nervous temperament Mm. and acutely experienced anxiety. So the fear, the anxiety, all of that yes. beset his soul, and yet he was able to work through it yes. given the grace of God. Yes, It wasn't
0: an easy time. No, that's right. We have much more to talk about, so stay with us as Franciscan University Presents continues.
4: Recently, I had the opportunity to work with one of our Franciscan University students. And he articulated to me that one of his goals was to make $50,000 a year five years after graduation, which is a laudable goal. I find, though, that many young people experience depression and anxiety when they fail to meet the goals that they've set for themselves. $50,000 a year five years after graduation is a good goal, but a closed-ended goal. And I think one thing that we can understand as Christians is that there is more than one way to be happy. There is more than one way to be successful. There is more than one way to serve. There is a place where education begins and faith and reason connect. Franciscan University of Steubenville's online programs will advance your career through an e-learning experience that's both academically excellent and passionately Catholic. With online degrees taught by full-time professors in theology, catechetics, business, education, and other disciplines, you can earn your master's degree online without changing your lifestyle. Find out more today at franciscan.edu, where your faith and career can connect online.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University presents. We're talking about mental health and faith. Uh, Matt, one of the things that you said I thought was really beautiful was this: the sense of that we all have suffering, and, and that first off, let, let's just start here. That that's important. That there's a stigma, I think, to mental health. Yes. That, that we can be much more empathetic with somebody who has cancer or suffering. But maybe just talk about the stigma that goes along with mental health. But then also that mental health isn't seen. You can see if somebody's suffering often physically, but the mental health often isn't able to be seen. So maybe it gives you a little bit to start with. Absolutely, yeah, so uh, mental health, unlike physical
1: health, unlike physical sufferings, um, there's, some of the literature will talk about it being the no casserole disease. So so somebody has cancer, somebody gets their their appendix taken out and the church flocks around them and delivers them casserole after casserole, you know, on these, Mm. these meal trains nobody gets casseroles when, they're, when they have depression, or they're suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder, or they have you know, general anxiety disorder. Um, there is a lot of stigma still around mental health issues. And that's sad to me because if we're supposed to be called to flourishing, we're supposed to call, be called to fr- flourish physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And so paying attention to our psychological and emotional health is a part of flourishing as the type of creature God created us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet that oftentimes get ne- gets negated. And mental health struggles are sort of put back on the person as a, as a moral failing. That's right. right. I think yeah. that's absolutely right. Yeah. That There's this connection there that just isn't fair. It's not, it's not quite fair. And I think what happens as well, and, and you're right to point this out, Father, is that you can't see mental health struggles very frequently. Sometimes you yeah. can in extreme cases, but mm-hmm. very frequently the person is suffering interiorly and silently. And so you will have people come up and say, hey, you look great, or hey, wow, you're doing so well in in this, that, or the other. And that can only further isolate the individual. I mean, mental health struggles can feel so painfully isolating and lonely because of the stigma and then because it's really hard to say to somebody, I don't feel the way I look. Exactly.
2: exactly. I don't feel the way I look. You know, you've pointed out before that it's also important not to be patronizing or condescending with people, and, you know, reminding ourselves that we are called to flourish, but we're also called to suffer. And it's not, well, which is it? It's both, and and so if you're gonna flourish while well, you know you're facing suffering, and eventual, we, you know, we're reminded that the mortality rate is 100%, you know? Right. So if none of us are gonna get out of here alive, flourishing has to somehow be experienced in the context of suffering. And, and when people are going through those kinds of passions and emotions, compassion, you know, empathy, empathic response, you know, isn't just effective. It's absolutely appropriate since, yes. you know, I think we've got to recognize something that Regis said a few minutes ago reminds me that it's a spectrum, and every one of us is on it somewhere. Yes. You know, it isn't as though we're healthy and they're just down here, oh, that's right. and we've got to stoop, you know, I mean, there is a down there because we've had depression running in my family for generations, and so I kind of feel the pain of others yeah. You know, in a way that Kimberly doesn't. I don't think you could find a, you know, you're looking for a needle in a haystack in her family, you know. But at the same time, you know, you recognize that if it's not this, it's something else. And so coming alongside of somebody isn't just a, a nice thing. No, that's right. You know, it's like the only logical way to deal yeah. with people, even if they, yeah. it's much more severe, yeah. even if they need a specialist, you know. That's right. But how can you look down on them mm-hmm. when you're just alongside of them? That's right. So to your first point, you um, you said something that reminded me of, of Victor Frankl in
1: Man's Search for Meaning. This idea that you might say that Frankl flourished even in Auschwitz, in a concentration camp with with unspeakable suffering, yeah. but he flourished because of how he related to his suffering. Flourishing wasn't about the absence of suffering. It was about relating rightly to suffering. And so that, that is just a crucial point. Yeah. We can flourish and still be suffering. But to your point about... Um, how we reach out to the other, Scott. I think this is. I'm reminded of a, of a client I had. And I was in my clinical training, and she was sharing some very painful um, stories, and I was moved, and I, I began. I began to just cry. I mean, just a tear. Um, and she looked up, and she was crying, and she looked really surprised, and she said, "Why? Why are you crying?" <laughs> yeah. And I said, "Because, like, I, I I'm hurting for you. I, I'm hurting for you." Um, and I think that was a really um, important experience for her because what it showed was that she mattered, that her pain
0: actually mattered to somebody. But when Would that be a sign of your response would be a sign of mental health? Yeah. Would it not that, yeah. that one ought to be moved and one ought to feel when, when you're relating with somebody? I think, we, I think we sometimes confuse
1: mental health and holiness with this sort of emotional stoicism. Yeah. Right, yeah. But, but it's about having mm-hmm. a proportionate and um, reasonable re, uh, you know reaction to what's in front of us. And when somebody is suffering, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, we should be moved. It yeah. should move I us. Mean. If this is an individual created in the image and likeness of God... I And they've experienced this terrible suffering that they've been holding alone Mm. to allow that to move me.
3: It's not just a a function of talk therapy. Uh, Let me uh, tell you what what your suffering is. Exactly. More often it's a companionable silence. A walking with the person uh, who feels so wretched uh, so that you can communicate. I feel this. It alongside. does speak, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. That, that walking alongside silently speaks right. something to Now, it. It, it could be that there are some problems you can't fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're mm-hmm. not soluble but they're never meaningless. Exactly. They can always be joined exactly. to the much greater suffering of Christ. But a third thing I, I think is necessary. Others need to know that and identify yes. with you. Be empathetic. Yes. A, a wounded surgeon is the image that okay. Eliot provides, who, who's able to feel uh, the suffering of, of the other and maybe do something about
1: it if only by way of sympathy, yeah, vicarious
3: yeah, yeah. suffering.
1: Here we hear St. Paul's word, bear one another's burdens. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes the, the temptation when we're uncomfortable with strong feelings, look, admittedly, it is really hard to sit with somebody yeah. who's gripped with grief, who's having suicidal thoughts, who's having yeah. panic attacks, who's depressed. Who's It is hard. And so it's really easy to use our faith to sort of give, uh, Pope Francis used this phrase about giving um, cheap and facile answers from our faith. Yeah. We, we look at somebody and say, well, don't worry about that miscarriage you had, God has Just offer it up. Yeah, offer it up, right? Yeah, yeah, it, right. Up, right? Yeah. It, it is it true ultimately? Are those sentiments true, are those statements true? Ultimately they are, God does have a plan. But how am I using that? Very frequently we use these, not to reduce your suffering, yep. but to reduce my own discomfort. Gauge sure. Yeah, I don't want you to feel that way because it makes me feel uncomfortable. But you know, I think the offer to help shoulder that pain yes. can be very uh, freeing. There's it, yes. a
3: beautiful novel by uh, Uh, Charles Williams, Mm -hmm. Descent into Hell, Mm -hmm. in which uh, the protagonist uh, uh, hears the story of a woman who keeps bumping into herself, a doppelganger, Mm. uh, and she's frightened. She won't go out anymore because she keeps seeing this double, this other. And it makes her so anxious, it's, it's paralyzing. And he says, look, the next time you see this guy, think of me because I'm gonna be there for you. I'll carry it with you, yes. and, and he invokes the principle yes. of St. Paul. All suffering uh, is vicarious. If I carry your bag of groceries, then the weight is diminished by the amount I, I put on my shoulders. Yes. And that, ver- that freed her. Yeah. It also conditioned her so that eventually she could extend the same favor To somebody else who turns out to be a distant ancestor who's about to be burned at the stake uh, and is is consumed with fear but he suddenly appears to her and she says look I'll try to carry that uh,
1: with you I'm now ready to take on your pain that's beautiful and that that, I think so much of uh, foundational in psychotherapy but not just therapy beyond therapy our role as a church is to be that for one another. Yeah. And I think. look, I think this is how Christ operates quite a bit. I mean, I will hear clients say, I'm suffering and, and, and Christ isn't removing it. He doesn't love me, he's not removing it. And I, I keep recalling that image of that young woman I mentioned. I think what Christ does very frequently, which is, which is healing, deeply healing, is he'll sit in the foxhole with us. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine you're in a foxhole in war and there's no getting out of the foxhole. What is more beautiful and, and, and um, comforting than a friend right. choosing to willingly yeah, jump in that right, foxhole right. with you?
2: Yeah. You know, you like mentioned that. Viktor Frankl a yeah. few minutes ago and man's yeah. search for meaning and how he found it in Auschwitz of all places, you know, and then becomes the source for many, many others in the form of a logotherapy mm-hmm. and other things too. Mm-hmm. But. You know, I remember listening to some uh, professors go through the history of psychology and they would go to Freud or Adler or Jung and others and Mm -hmm. show how much of their work was done in a way that was like archeology span of the soul. That is, they're looking for root causes in terms of the interior soul, the id and all of that, Mm -hmm. or in terms of family relations with with Adler and so on. But they weren't looking for the solution. And and not a a quick, facile, superficial thing, but that's what i think frankl discovered without ever becoming a christian he discovered the logos yes he did you know and this word is not just a word oh i hope you're better it is meaning yes and and so it's it's not unrelated to god but it's not just reducible to theology yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. likewise it's not just uh, it's not unrelated to eschatology but it isn't just holding your breath that's right. and trying to get through this tunnel you know like my kids used to do on our vacation trips you know it really is an endurance but it is uh, it's meaningful yeah. you no know? that's right in some ways just as meaningful for flourishing as fun and laughter can mm-hmm. be no absolutely
3: you know uh, in that book uh, man's search for meaning He cites, of all people, Nietzsche, who says, if you have a why, you can handle almost any how, whatever the circumstances are, whatever physical constraints there might be. If there's some horizon that beckons you, towards which you can move, if only in the imagination, let me at least think about this, there may be a a solution, I don't know, but until I get there, I'm gonna try and endure this with some cheerfulness.
0: That's right. Matt, you talked about the community and, and being able able to to come together as a community. One of the things that I've, over the years, wrestled with, and that is this invitation when I'm dealing with somebody that says, okay, I think you probably need help. And and I think sometimes people come to me as a priest because maybe I'm safe Mm -hmm. or, but that I realize very quickly that there's something I can do, but there's something specifically you can do as well. So how does a community or a family help somebody that they realize that they're struggling? That's a great question. So uh,
1: a lot of research actually shows that people are more likely to go to a pastor or a priest for a mental health concern before they go to a mental health professional. No, I think so. And so it's really important, I think, for our priests and religious to recognize that they're very frequently gatekeepers Mm -hmm. to mental health access and how you respond and what you do um, can be either really healing or sort of hurtful. Mm -hmm. Um, Part of what I think we need to do is we need to, to regularize or normalize the fact that these types of struggles are normal. And to be able to share with one another, maybe we haven't had a diagnosable mental illness, but to be able to say, look, I've struggled too with anxiety or stress. I've had sleepless nights. Mm-hmm. I've felt like not getting out of bed or struggled with overeating or, to normalize some of these mental health struggles can can normalize this for the individual, but then highlighting for them that, look, this is one struggle among the many. Sure, I mean, th- sure. this is yours, but I have mine. Sure. and and." Where I go, you know, I, I I might have to go to the doctor for diabetes, you have to go see a, a, a mental health specialist to deal with some of these uh, unhelpful thought patterns or behavioral issues that, that you're struggling with. Yeah. We somehow view mental health issues as as um, being sort of almost a different uh, in like, kind to, yeah. to other types of struggles. but. It's a struggle and if we can sort of normalize that for individuals within the, the church community. But, but you
3: have to admit it's sometimes very tempting to do so because very.
1: some of the struggles
3: seem Pretty bizarre. Yes. I mean, I knew somebody who yes. struggled with anorexia. Yes. And, and to me the solution was quite simple. Let's get a hamburger. I mean, yes. they're delicious. Yes. What's wrong with you? Yes. They're really weird. Yes. But that's not helpful at all. No, that's, that's not. not. Yeah. And that's <laughs> <just> I, <laughs> I mean, a yeah, good psychologist yeah, yeah. Yeah. friend told me it's just about the most intractable Absolutely.
1: disorder you can imagine. No, it, it has the of the of the mental health disorders, it has the highest mortality rate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, upwards of 50% of individuals with with anorexia
0: die. Um, 50%? Up to 50% with with anorexia die, yeah. So we'll be right back with more Franciscan University Presents. Please stay with us.
5: At some point in our lives, many of us think about seeking professional counseling services. Deciding whether or not to actually do that takes reflection on our lives, in order to size up whether or not the resources that we have available, such as our family and our friends or prayer life and our um, faith community, is enough to help us to cope effectively. And in many instances, we can weather most of life's stressors by using these resources. But if you feel like your levels of distress are not being reduced by using the social supports that you have, you may want to seek professional counseling services.
4: What if you discovered a university with unmatched science, faculty, and programs? A place where you didn't have to choose science over faith. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, you'll find faith-inspired, student-focused, research-driven programs leading to satisfying careers in medicine, scientific research, engineering, computer science, and many more science and health fields. At Franciscan University of Steubenville, education is more than just a word. It's a discovery.
0: Welcome, and thank you for joining us once again. You're watching Franciscan University Presents, and we are coming to you from the Communication Arts Studio here on the campus at Franciscan University in Steubenville. Our students are operating the cameras and the equipment, and members of our theology, Dr. Martin and Dr. Hahn, and our guest, uh, Matt, is. we're speaking on mental health and faith, and he's a psychology professor here at Franciscan University. Uh, at the end of the last segment, we were talking a little bit about uh, anorexia. And, mm-hmm. and over the years, I've had the opportunity to deal with, with honestly, too many students, unfortunately. But there's, there's something that I had to wrestle with and struggle with. And, and I would love to hear, particularly because you have the, the credentials as a psychologist, but a man of faith. And that is, when I was a younger priest, it was like, if I prayed harder or if I said the right prayer, I was going to be able to fix it. And it very quickly became, no, I have to help this person get help. And, and maybe talk to that, that relationship between faith specifically in prayer and getting the help that an individual needs. Yeah. So, so to pick up on that last conversation, I,
1: it is true that sometimes sitting with individuals who have mental health struggles, it can be um, sometimes scary or off-putting, or it, it can be really hard to tolerate our own distress as we sit with them. Yeah. But as, as you noted, Father, learning the limits of, of where I can help and, and I think one of the temptations for all of us who are in specializations is to translate everything into a language and um, into a, a vernacular that we're comfortable with. And so what will sometimes happen is um, with individuals who have mental health problems, when they see a priest or religious, everything will be translated into a spiritual right. problem. Right. Yeah. As a mental health professional, the great temptation is to translate everything into a psychological That's problem. Great. That's interesting. Right? And And what's most helpful is to recognize, where can faith be an aid here? So, so to your point, Father, it is fundamental that the church community, the priests and religious, walk alongside and accompany mm-hmm. individuals with mental health struggles as support, but at the same time, give them the encouragement to get the help that they need professionally if um, the impairment, if they have severe right. impairment right. or severe distress, to say, look, you might need actual help from a licensed professional, right. but here's what I can do.
0: I can give you scripture passages to meditate on right, right. about God's love and meaning in suffering. And part of that for me, at least, and for anyone else who's dealing with that, is that I'm not abandoning them. No. I'm going to walk with you. It's yes. not like here, you're now their problem, but we're gonna do this together. And really I think that important. was really important.
1: And it's really important for them to feel that. Yeah. I'm, not being, I'm not being cast off. Mm-hmm. I'm not being dismissed. What you're saying is, this is a problem, that has multiple facets. Okay. And so
0: somebody needs to really work with maybe you need medication management, maybe yeah. you need a psychiatrist. Which is exactly where I wanted to go. And I know we, other or other uh, hosts have a, a point about that, but one of my experiences was the whole step from to counseling and then also when they were suggesting that they take medicine. Mm-hmm. And an experience that I had is that people often saw the medicine as defeat. It's yes. like, oh my gosh. No. But I think it's quite yes. the opposite. That the enemy is the one, or the sickness, is the one that has to be defeated, not the medicine. Absolutely. So maybe speak to that.
1: Yeah, and, and sometimes I'll hear people say, well, if I take medicine, then then um, I'm not doing the work. It's mm-hmm. not me doing it, or I'm gonna lose myself. Mm-hmm. And the truth about medication is fundamentally, medication doesn't change who you are. Right. So uh, uh, a terrible person who takes antidepressant medications their mood might raise a little bit, but they're gonna be a terrible person still. <laughs> right. you know, it doesn't yeah. fundamentally- They may be well adjusted, <laughs> but they're gonna be yeah. pretty abhorrent. Exactly, I mean, so, yeah. so the idea that this somehow changes you fundamentally. Yeah. Your personality is still your personality. Right. Your temperament is still your temperament. Your beliefs are still your beliefs. It just sort of, it, it reduces how high you can go and usually reduces how low you can go. Yeah. It sort of gives your mood a yeah. gentle boost. And for a lot of people, Medication is just a step that they need in order to engage therapy, mm-hmm. to get into therapy, to get some traction. Even's the playing field. Even's a playing yeah. field, and then they can very frequently wean off of medication. Yeah. But even if they can't wean off of medication, what's strange is we don't have the same stigma around um, uh, somebody who takes insulin shots, sure. right, sure. or somebody who takes Advil for a headache. Or no. um, sure. we don't say, I took Advil today. I, yeah, I, I yeah, lost. Yeah, yeah. I lost the battle. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. No, exactly.
2: We go through the seasons, and each season has its own form of suffering. And yes. without going into any detail, you know, we all have friends and family members. Yes. You know, but the explanation that was given to me one time was: you know, when you go through winter, you change tires. Yes. And medication is like winter tires. You said it gains traction. Yes. You know, so you can get out of the hole. You can get out of the, the ditch, as it were. And it's not reduced to just getting those new tires. Sure. But at the same time, it's it's all of the above, you know, right. and so it is confession, it is family members, it is friendship, yeah. you know. It's also the sacraments. It's yes. um, it is a therapist if necessary, and it yes. is medication if necessary. It's never reducible to one thing or another. But I do think in families there has to be a sensitivity. I remember awesome. when I was newly converted, mm-hmm. and I lost all of my friends who would never. Who stopped inviting me to the parties I probably shouldn't have been going to anyway? Uh, I went through a real dark time. And, you know, the counselor I saw when I was like 14 diagnosed a depression, and I mm. knew it as soon as he said it. And I felt like I was in a cave and I didn't want to come out, even though I had just found Christ, and so there's no excuse for this. And he would linger, he would take off his watch and put it upside down so there was no hour being measured. Mm. And he would crawl into the cave with me, as yes. he put it, you know. Yeah. And years later, when I found out that family members had this genetic disposition and then they'd go through the winter season and that sort of thing, they just thought, Dad, you're, you've got so many things, you're just wasting your time, you know. And I would use the cave image. Yes. No, there's no better place on the planet for me to be than right now with you in this cave and I'm not moving, yes. you know. That's right. And if you go further back, I'll be there, you oh, know. I love And that. I mean, we ended up, you know, and it didn't like, oh, well, then let's. Go out together. You exactly. know, right, right, right. I'm fine now. You right. know, it would last for days, weeks, months, and yes. sometimes come back over yes. the years. And at the same time, I had Father Mike and the Cerners pray over them. You know, yes. I had sure. counseling, yes. all you know, the, the yes. medication. Yes. And I mean, I look at what Christ has done, and we're all wounded healers. Yes. You know, we're being healed. But I, I look and I marvel because if it had been up to me, you know, spelunking into their caves, mm. they'd probably be dead as beloved family members, but it's the family of God, it's the body of Christ, it's the fact that we can't be afraid to admit we're really afflicted. All yes. of us, some people severely, but all of us will eventually yes. be severely sure, <laughs> afflicted.
3: Sure, sure. So, yeah. Matt, Matt I, I have a question because sure. you are a practitioner. Sure. Uh, yeah. Are there criteria whereby you can determine whether this guy has a real psychiatric issue, or I think it's spiritual. Yeah. I mean, how do
1: I know the difference? Yeah. Is that a kind of wisdom, an art form yeah, so that I you perfect? This is a balance, right, between the sort of the science and art. So certainly we have we have a, a book called the DSM, which gives all of the diagnostic criteria that you need to be diagnosed with a, a clinical mental health disorder. And so we'll go through these, these diagnostic criteria and see if somebody meets them. Then you're also looking for Um, severe distress and impairment, right? So you meet these criteria, but there's also distress and impairment. Now, to your point, Regis, it it would be really nice if it was just really simple like that, right? right? But but very frequently when we think about mental health disorders, uh, diagnosable disorders, we have what's called the biopsychosocial model. And this is what Scott was sort of getting at a minute ago. We have genetic predispositions, a biological predisposition. Now, if I have a biological predisposition toward depression in my family, I might have a really healthy pattern of thinking. My, psych, my sort of psychological constitution, my temperament, my personality, they're really robust, and my environment is really stress free. And that disposition, that genetic predisposition, never gets activated. Now, I could have a genetic predisposition, have poor sort of psychological coping skills, a fragile personality, a temperament that's more reactive to stress an environmental stressor and then it triggers it. And so this biopsychosocial model helps us recognize that even when we're talking about healing, we take a biopsychosocial approach. Mm -hmm. So it's not just medication. It's all of it. It's all of it. I'm trying to make sure my environment is such that I reduce stressors and social support. I have, so, so this is where the spiritual life comes in. What is my image of God? There's all this research out there on having a judgmental critical image of God having what we call an insecure God attachment, meaning we don't feel, we don't feel like God is a safe, secure base.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: These all heighten yeah. or contribute yeah. to our psychological distress. Right. Yeah. And so if I think that I'm suffering in life and then I have this critical God image, right? I have a normal, yeah. natural suffering, sure. right. and I have this critical God image, all of a sudden I feel a heightened anxiety. Yeah. So this is where a good priest or spiritual director can say, look, you've got this. this really defunct, unhelpful image of God. That's not who God is. And then my psychologist said, look, your pattern of thinking, right, you're highly agreeable, and you think that disagreeing with somebody, because it doesn't feel good, you think it's wrong. And so a critical God image, this temperament of being highly agreeable, and this genetic predisposition toward depression have created this perfect storm. cocktail. This cocktail, (laughs) right? And so you might take some medication for the, the biological dimensions, you have a psychologist help you work on how to be healthily disagreeable, yeah. and then you have a spiritual director help you adjust your God image or your God attachment, yeah. mm-hmm. and together, biopsychosocial, mm-hmm. you help. Right. But what happens if
3: you fall into the hands of a guy who doesn't have that integration yeah. that you've been describing? He's a reductionist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, for him, the, the 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 soul is sort of an electro a chemical uh, element and I can cut it as if I were cutting butter yeah. with a knife. Right, right I mean a guy like that is not just a pest. Right. He's a menace.
0: He said right.
2: his name is Legion for there are many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. But I think that's where having men like you yeah. uh, that is so important yeah. is that that is yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. You see the big picture and in my experience has been working with people such as you and very blessed at the university is that something really beautiful can happen when there's collaboration working together but that you can hold both of those and yes. you can see that as in a professional and say, I think you need to talk to Father. Yeah, or, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's
1: beautiful. Right. I think, so I view, I think about my job as trying to help people gain freedom. Yeah. Freedom. And and I'll say this about, about practitioners who maybe don't recognize that full picture. I think what you oftentimes have is somebody who is able to help bring somebody toward freedom maybe in some incremental step. Right. Yeah. But, but the person doesn't, experience anything like the fullness of freedom that they could experience. That that this entire holistic picture is what's needed for the fullness of freedom to be experienced. Because in order to experience freedom fully, we need to, we've talked about this, we need to have a faith that encompasses, right. right? Christ will set us free. Yeah, Christ will set us free. We need to have a faith that encompasses suffering. It helps me make sense of my suffering. Otherwise, I'm a prisoner to my suffering. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly trying to avoid it or push it down or get rid of it. Part of freedom is knowing that my faith is me. To to what extent uh, does it help not to think about yourself
3: I'm thinking yeah. of Dame Margot Fontaine. Yeah. She once said that, "Look, I can execute a perfect pirouette if I think about the dance, but the moment I think about myself, I fall flat on my face." Yeah. I mean, wasn't that the problem that Peter faced? He could walk on the bloody water yeah. so long as he kept looking at
1: Christ, but when he thought about the water or himself, he sank. So, so this brings up a, a great point. I think it's really important. I think that. In psychotherapy, there is a sort of dimension of of navel gazing. We, I, I do ask people to look upon themselves and be reflective, self-reflective, mm-hmm. oftentimes in a way that they haven't thought about before. They've they've been avoiding thinking about themselves in some way, and in other ways, they've only been That's thinking right, about themselves, right. right? Yeah. And so, Regis, I actually think about a lot of our emotional suffering coming as a result of unhelpful self-preservation strategies. So, so one way I think about our woundedness and our suffering is we have these wounds and I think most of our wounds are wounds of love. We are created to be loved and when parents walk out and when people leave us or tease us or sure. we're failing to be loved the way we were meant to be loved, we have these wounds and they're really painful. Yeah. And so what we do is we develop these beliefs around our wounds, these beliefs like um, I'm not good enough. Right. People only love me if I'm successful. define ourselves. They define us in their lies. These beliefs are lies, but they're so painful that we say to ourselves, I don't want to feel that way ever again. And so what we do is we engage in, when I say self-preservation, I mean strategies that help me avoid feeling pain. And so I think things like pornography use, Uh that's to avoid the pain of feeling like I'm not lovable or I'm not desirable. Um, Things like success, some people are highly successful, but that's a Preservation strategy. Yeah. They're focusing on fear. not lo- fear of not being good enough. I'll show my dad that I'm lovable and that I'm good enough. Yeah. And I'll succeed. And I'll go to Yale. Then I'll become a lawyer. Then I'll become a. Right. But these are these are. So when I think when Christ says we have to die to self, part of what that means is we have to die to these unhelpful self preservation strategies. Yeah. And this is where I think this sort of unhealthy focus on ourself comes into play. Yeah. That most of my life is about not touching those thorns in my right. side. Yeah.
0: And that's great. Now up next, our panel and our guest will share our final thoughts on mental health and faith. Please stay with us.
5: Good mental health can be described in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways is as a set of healthy relationships, healthy relationships to ourselves and to God to other people, and to the created world. Faith is our trust in God who loves us, who created us for a unique purpose in life, and who calls us to fulfill our unique human potential. Faith helps us to cultivate our relationship with God so that when we experience the challenges of life, especially in the area of our mental health, we know that we have a safe haven in God who's a loving Father, rooting for us even in the toughest moments of our lives.
0: Welcome back to Franciscan University Presents. We've come to our final segment, Regis, if you could start us off with your final thoughts. Yeah,
3: Matt, I can't thank you enough uh, for your insight, your your presence. Uh, it's really been uh, enriching. I'm, I'm tempted to say that the next time I present <laughs> a fresh set of neuroses, uh, I'd like to uh, seek you out Come for extended therapy. A the friend discount, Regis. But, <laughs> oh, good, oh, we'll chat after the show. But in the meantime, my general supposition is, Uh, My life is not rooted uh, in psychology, it's rooted in the sacraments uh, or more specifically in the faith I have in the efficacy of sacrament, which means I'm trying to be rooted in the life of Christ and the sacraments enable me to participate directly, intimately in his life. Uh, And so for me, I think for any Christian, uh, it's not an ideal that's out there towards which I struggle somehow uh, to to achieve. It's rather a reality to which I'm already anchored. It's the center of my life. I move out of that center. So even if I'm not psychologically sound and I'm probably as crazy as a a uh, nut cake, it's all right. I mean, Benedict Joseph Labre, who is the patron saint of the homeless, uh, uh, I I developed a a certain affection for him because when I was a student in Rome, I would walk past the church uh, where he's uh, laid out uh, in glass and where he died, Uh, and he was crazy. I mean, he couldn't find a religious house that would take him, uh, and he knew he was crazy, and yet he was passionately in love with with God. So that was transformative. so, it's, it's a tough balance, I think, that you have to try and maintain, but it seems to me uh, you've
2: maintained it pretty well. Yeah, amen, amen, great. Okay. Scott. Well, you've distinguished theology and psychology to unite them. And, you know, I think that good theology is not only really a great source for therapy, but it's also dramatically open to these sorts of insights and that kind of wisdom. Uh, I do think that prayer is something that you begin and end with. But how you pray, you begin with the Our Father because that sort of rehabilitates that critical mm-hmm. God image, His mm-hmm. Abba Father. And then you end with deliver us from evil because you're not saying, I'll get out of this and I'll come back to you and I'll prove myself, you know, we're stuck and you alone can do it. But I also think of the need for friends. Yes. You know, it's a catch-22 because when you're in that cave, you don't want friends, you can't make friends, you know, that sort of thing. Yes. And yet. Pray for friendship. Yes. Pray that you can be a friend of Christ. Yes. But also pray for friends who are also friends with Christ because I have found over the years, in my own experience and others, that helps a lot. Yes. Confession is the next thing, I believe, is so important because, again, it's it's sacramental efficacy. It's not just the priest, it is the high priest. It's Jesus mm-hmm. speaking and working through that priest. and. You know, I've gone weekly for 35 years, and Kimberly has never suggested it's too frequent. You know, I, 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 get, I, I just get to adjust my compass, you know. You need to go more great. often. <laughs> 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 I'll see you in line. You know, the, the other thing I think you need is affirmation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Conrad Barr's. Yeah, sure. And how many people suffer from affirmation, deprivation, yeah. neurosis. Yeah, yeah. They're just unaffirmed almost all of their lives. It's every Everyone is conditioning there. And I just feel like if God the Father, Father's the Son, and He's the Logos, the word of love, you you know, Philippians 4, if there's anything true, anything good, anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Why? Because that's what God does, or else we'd be extinct, you know? And at that point, again, theology is good therapy, and it's, it's it's not an alternative but it's a foundation. Yeah. And so I'm grateful for the way you're constructing this integrated approach that is, you know, that is bio, psycho, and social. social yeah, yeah. it's right. beautiful, thank you. Yeah, man, it's just a blessing to have you with us, uh, Matt. Having
0: been here a little bit over a year now, I'm really glad you're on our side. <laughs> <laughs> so, final thoughts? Yeah, so to pick up on what, what both of you have said, I. I love this image of the
1: cave and that's going to stick with me for a long time mm. and, and somebody crawling into the cave with you because when I think about Christ hanging on the cross and his, his crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Part of what Christ does is he goes into the back of the cave, he goes into the deepest part of the cave where it feels lonely and abandoned and isolated and it's dark and he waits for us there. Mm. And so whenever we're in the cave, we're not alone because Christ has already gone there and he waits for us there. And we know that because of how he cried out on the cross. And I think that's, that's, I really love that image. Um, you both mentioned the sacraments. And I think what's really important is when we treat mental health issues, one of the common therapies we use is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. So the idea here is that our beliefs directly relate to how we feel and how we act. And so if we have unhelpful beliefs, we act in ways that are emotionally and behaviorally unhelpful and sometimes destructive. But right beliefs lead to sort of right feelings and right Right, actions. So part of what we're doing is trying to uncover unhealthy beliefs. What our faith does and and where the sacraments come in and where the Word of God comes in is our faith gives us right belief. So when I have these beliefs about myself, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not lovable. The Word of God comes in and says, no, 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 you are a creature made in the image and likeness of God. Part of what cognitive behavioral therapy is trying to do is replace faulty beliefs with true beliefs, Mm -hmm. beliefs that are adaptive and helpful to make sense of reality. And our faith does this par excellence. Our faith gives us the right beliefs about ourselves, about others, and about the world. And so this is where the sacraments approaching God as a loving Father and, and, and being able to feel that security in His presence being able to, to turn to Him as, as Abba, Father, it, it helps recondition these, these, uh, these beliefs about myself that I have from perhaps my own father wounds or, or messages I've learned from uh, peers. So our faith can serve as this foundation that's deeply helpful psychologically, but as a church community, if we could open ourselves up to the suffering that is mental illness and mental health issues and become uh, more aware more attentive, educate ourselves on it, but also educate one another so that this becomes one suffering among many sure, sure. and not sort of this this stigmatized suffering right. um, that
0: has to be suffered alone. Amen. Amen, thank you so much, Dr. Brancher. If you want to learn more about our topic this afternoon, uh, we just invite you to uh, get this Practical Guide to Meeting the Needs of Mental Illness in the Local Church. This is yours free simply by going to going online to faithandreason.com or calling the number you'll see at the bottom of the screen. Uh, when I'm thinking about this, I think of Genesis when Adam and Eve are created, and, and the first thing the Lord says to them is, you are free. And that, that I think you, you mentioned alluded to freedom several times, and that that is the way we were created to be. And then obviously they fall, they eat of the fruit, and the next thing the Lord says is, where are you? Yeah. Because they've started hiding from the Lord. Yes. And and I think that image of what you're inviting us to, what what faith invites us to, is, is this sense of returning Fresh. to the, that which we were created, and that is radically and profoundly free. And Galatians 5 says, for freedom Christ has set us free. And it's not merely a freedom that comes just from being free of illness right. or free of mental health, but it's it's a freedom that can only come from Christ. And that's where I think what you're speaking of, the sacraments as well as everything that you have to have to be able to offer provide us this greater possibility of being free. But it only can come when, when we're allowed or when we're encountering Christ and His voice becomes more prominent. You, you alluded to these lies that so many times you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not beautiful. But Scripture reminds us when the sun sets us free, right? So when it's His voice that we begin to hear. So we just thank you for that. And again, just a blessing it is to be able to collaborate with you and work with you. And And, and I just encourage those who are struggling to be able to talk to a priest, but then also get the help that is necessary That's because right. God desires us to be free. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure being with you. I invite you to join us at Franciscan University of Steubenville as we continue to educate and evangelize and send forth joyful disciples. Thank you so much for joining us. God bless you.
2: To download the free handout on today's topic, go to faithandreason.com. Email your request for the handout to presents at franciscan.edu. At faithinreason.com, you can also purchase past episodes of Franciscan University Presents or request today's free handout and purchase past programs by calling 888-333-0381. That's
1: 888-333-0381 or call 740-283-6357.